0: Welcome to the Heart Matters Podcast with your host, Ibn Leon. Join us as we explore the intricacies of spirituality and self-improvement. Gain a fresh perspective on enhancing your spiritual, emotional, and mental well-being through the fusion of spirituality and self-improvement. Enjoy Ibn's engaging conversations with guests from diverse backgrounds. They share unique perspectives on personal growth and holistic health. From spiritual leaders to relationship experts, entrepreneurs to creatives, each episode delivers knowledge and inspiration. Tune in to the Heart Matters Podcast for profound conversations and practical advice empowering you to live your best life. Chapter five, inspiring stories. Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Heart Matters Podcast. This is episode two of chapter four, which is who are you? We have Justin James Lopez here. Yeah, we had to get the brother on. I checked him out on LinkedIn. And so let me reach out to the brother there and see if he could come on and talk with us for a little bit. Just to tell the people a little bit about yourself before we get started. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I appreciate it. First, uh, I appreciate uh, you inviting me on the show. I'm happy to be here to talk to to you and, and your audience for sure. Yeah, my name is Justin James Lopez. I'm currently a content leader over at Amazon Design. Um, what that means is I'm responsible for the creation of content strategies, like long-term engagement strategies. When it comes to our social presence, so that's everything on the website, Amazon.design, as well as um, our social presence when it comes to our social media um, accounts. I work with everything from the ideation component to the strategy component to actually the execution. So right now I'm working on like video production, on audio production, podcasts like this. We have a, a few that I produce for for Amazon, creative writing and Anything in the production wheelhouse that needs to be done across the wide gambit that is Amazon, specifically from a design community perspective. So I cater to that community. So like creatives, researchers, UX researchers, and you know designers of of all different um, facets. That's really what I what I do um, for for work. That's what I have my own photography business on the side, and that's like more of my passion, where just like telling stories through imagery. And That's something that I've always loved since I was re- really young, and I'm really happy and uh proud to be able to do that as a professional thing as well even if it isn't like on the side right now I, i'm able to give people high quality work and not necessarily hit them over the head when it comes to the price because it's not something that i need to do right it's a supplemental thing so i can still treat it as a passion thing but still get paid for it so that's kind of beautiful too yeah it's pretty much the the high level of it for sure okay well
0: how did you get into this field uh oh, justin
1: yeah yeah it's interesting because i feel like a long way is coming so i i Studied r- rhetoric when I was in school originally. So like persuasion, human engagement, how do people interact with each other? I was always fascinated by storytelling as well, which is why I got into rhetoric is how do people use language to tell stories, narratives, and then how does these narratives kind of impact the way we interact with the world. But I never actually jumped into that originally. As I also got a degree in psychology, went back to school. There's all, all of that spiel. People can look on my LinkedIn if they want to know that, that story. But what ended up happening is I I grew up in a space where I didn't we didn't really have many resources. My family didn't have a lot of money, so me going to college was a big deal. Right, I was the first one to go to college. But with that, also came the idea of me not realizing that I didn't really have a blueprint. I thought it was gonna be. I thought all I did, needed to do was follow the path in front of me, and it was just gonna happen, right? Like I'm like, oh well, this is what you do. You go to college, and then you know, people give you a job and that you that you want, and then you go get money. And then you can do just because nobody taught me anything about financial literacy, about like really anything about anything. The only thing I knew is you got to go to school. If you don't go to school, then you're either selling drugs or, you you know, you're doing stupid, stupid stuff on the street. You end up going to jail or dead. Like, that's literally the only thing that I was taught growing up. So for me, I was like, all right, just listen to what you're being told. Listen to, you know, the path in front of you. And that's all I did. Had no plan coming out of college, like zero plan coming out of college. So I ended up just taking the first job that they offered me and it was originally it was in sales. I think I started in sales like years back right out of college, took a couple internships and just was like, well, I'm I'm persuasive. I'm, I study psychology and persuasion. I'm really good at sales, but I hated it. I hated the inauthenticity of it. Not, not a shot at any salespeople that are listening. Uh, I'm sure you guys are great, but I couldn't do it without, you know, feeling like it was inauthentic for me. And then I moved into business development, which is more like business to business sales and shifted that and it really was just people me randomly networking with people and meeting people in the world and then them going hey I think you, you'd be good at this and I was like I'll give it a shot right and there's gonna be a trend here right it's like me like I'll give it a shot like why not right and then me getting pretty good at certain things then I from there I moved to so I moved to Atlanta for the sales role then I moved to Texas for business development and in Texas I met somebody else that was like you know what actually you might your your empathy might do well in HR And I was like, I don't know how that works out, but let's figure it out. So I gave that a shot. Interviewed, got got a job. Ended up getting a job at like these these are big name companies too. Like I don't, I'm like I'm not trying to name drop or anything, but like I'm just like doing all of the things, following the path. But I hated every single one of these roles. And what I kept doing is on the side, like this entire time on the side, I'm I'm working on my photography, like pictures, small cameras. I didn't have a lot of money at the time, so just like Polaroids, things like that. But I love the idea of still still image images and that create the creativity that comes with that. So I was doing that, doing photos for people, just like helping people with different projects, leaning in as far as like podcasts, stuff like that. Just like literally whatever I can do, because I was one. Of, I'm one of those people that I don't like being asked a question I don't know, even if it's a space that I'm like I have no idea what it is. I'm like I don't like the idea of there being knowledge that now I'm aware of that I don't know. So I'm like, now I'm aware of it. I'm gonna go learn some stuff about this so I can have a competent conversation about it. At least I don't need to be an expert, but I want to be able to contribute to the conversation. So that's what ended up happening. I'm just like learning all these spaces. And then I started to lean more heavily into this creative space. But at this point I'm deeper in my career. Nobody cares. Everyone just looks at your resume. Nobody understands like, you know, your value is really just like what's on paper. So luckily I got, you know, I ended up coming to Amazon I'm I'm out in Seattle now. So I came, came to Amazon, came here for that HR space years ago. And then about three years ago, three and a half years ago, I met um, an amazing leader here at Amazon who needed some help with some, some work with, he was a design leader, he was working on in my current space, my current role, my, my team that I'm on right now. And he was like, Hey, if you want, you can help out on the side, you know, Uh, and Basically the same thing I was doing outside of Amazon. I was able to help out on the side inside of Amazon. And that was like one of the really, really deep steps, the big steps that I took. Cause after that, it, like I started to get so much more knowledge cause I'm doing it at work with all of these amazing people. It's not like people that need help, that have no idea what they're doing. It's people that need like assistance that are experts. So now I'm just downloading so much information. And then... What ends up happening is they needed more help. I can't provide it. So I, we're at a catch 22. I hit him with the ultimatum. I was like, listen, I, at this point, if I keep helping you, I'm eventually going to drop the ball on, on, what I get paid for it to do, like get paid to do here. And that's not, that can't happen. Cause I'm the pe- person that people lean on. I ain't got nobody to lean on. Right. And in so many words, that's kind of what I was letting him know. So he was like, all right that's cool. And I thought that was the end of the conversation. He ends up coming back and going, well, what if this was what you got paid to do? And I was like, well, let's talk about it, right? And then we ended up coming to an agreement. Uh, he gave me an offer to transfer over to his team officially in like this creative producer role. And then and I just kind of developed from there. People left the company, people moved to different roles and I was like stagnant in this space still kind of building. So as more opportunities opened up on my team, I would just kind of like eating them up, eating them up. The pandemic hit, all of that stuff. Obviously we had, you know, the, the round of layoffs that happened last year with, with a lot of people were, it was a lot of friction and I just ended up being the last man standing just still doing all of the things, learning all of these new skills to the point where it just became very difficult to have that conversation without my name not being in it. So yeah, that's the best way I could describe it, I guess. Yeah.
0: Okay. I want to go back to something that you said earlier about not having the direction when you were younger. Yeah. For so sure. I was listening to uh, T.K. Kirkland. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He does a lot of stuff, you know, online. I think he has it on podcast too. And he yes. was saying, he was talking about how it is better for parents to give their children a direction when they're young in order for them to be successful. And he gave a couple of examples. Right? And he said the Williams sisters, Their father instilled in them this direction look, you're going to be the best tennis players in the world, right? When they were babies, and he just kept drilling that in them, and they became that, right? Yeah, and then he talked about Tiger Woods the same thing. His father, look, you're gonna be the number one golf player in the world, you know what I'm saying? He was like, he was like four years old or something, five years old on the Merv Griffin show, yeah, but. But he, what TK was saying is, it is better to give the children a direction while they're young, that they can see and keep drilling that to them, so they can envision it. Mm. You know. So why do you think that a lot of parents don't do that
1: with their kids? Honestly, I don't. I don't think it's intentional, man. I think that we we are what we were shown. The same way you just described that whole thing of like. You know, you want to make your kids successful. And I think it's one way. I think there's multiple ways to do it, right? But, like, I think that that's a really helpful way. Like, the direction would have helped me get here faster, I would say. It took me a lot longer and a lot more convoluted path to get here. But I think that when it comes to that question, the same way that successful kids generally have this kind of connected tissue of they had some type of direction in, in, in their, whether it's their parents or just their, their ecosystem where they were growing up, that the same thing is true for, for them, you know? Either at some point, someone in might've been their grandparents decided, hey, this is something missing. Like for me, you know, I have a child myself, like that's what I'm instilling with my, with my son. I'm giving him that, those guardrails. I call them guardrails, right? I'm not, I'm not giving them a, I'm not saying run in that direction. I'm saying, hey, here, here are the ways, here's the space that you can play in. That's going to give you all of the things you need to decide how to, how to be successful. Cause there is that, that one space, right? Where you want, you'd be super specific. Like you're going to be, this this is what I'm manifesting for you is you're going to be the best baseball player ever, the best basketball player ever, right? And that's that's one space, right? And there's there's something to be said about like doing research on how that ends up like affecting the children themselves. It was like, yeah, I was not hyper successful, but I kind of wish I could have been a doctor. You know, I kind of wish I could have been other things instead of just this one thing. So I, I I take the approach of providing guardrails, but when it comes to why parents don't do it, I don't think it's malicious at all. We can talk about that later. I think sometimes it can be haters go hate right, and that happens right. Sometimes you don't like seeing you don't like seeing people shine when you threw away your ability to do that, or you somehow threw away your reasoning for living. So you don't like people seeing people shine, and that could be true for your children too. I see it sometimes, but I think a lot of the times it is it's benevolent, right? And it's just like due to negligence, people don't know. I can't teach you how to be good with my money. I can't teach you how to be successful if I was never successful in any space of my life where I've never felt successful. And I think that's where a lot of, a lot of people come from this space where it's like, I don't know how to do, I don't have a blueprint. So the blueprint that I created is a shitty one. And that's not going to get you where you need to go. And that can be a little bit defeating. So I kind of feel for a lot of uh, groups of people. I do think that it'd be easier to, to just kind of have that conversation, which my, my father had that conversation with me, right? Like. My father is a very confident man. He's from, he, you know, he's from um, South America. He came up here into the U.S., and that's how he met my mom. But he didn't go to college. He didn't, you know, he worked really hard. My whole life, he was, like, working multiple jobs just to, like, make sure we were straight. And I had a father, so I wasn't really knocking it because a lot of my friends didn't. So I remember when I got to college, it was the first time that I admitted that I was, like, had imposter syndrome. It was first, my first experience with imposter syndrome. I had, you know, and I turned to my pops and I was like, what do, what do I do? It's also the first time I ever interacted with white people, but we can talk about that later. So, so like, I was like, I I'm surrounded by all these kids that are coming from this high. I went to a really, really elite school. Luckily, luckily I got in, you know, scholarship, all of that stuff. So I, my parents, you know, didn't have to worry about, you know, the money for it. But what ended up happening is I was the first time I was I had culture shock. And the first time that I realized that there are people that, grew up with more resources and efficiency to me. And so I asked him, I said, hey, what do I do? I, I don't feel, like, safe here. I don't feel comfortable here. And and that's saying a lot, because I feel comfortable with gunshots and all this other stuff. But I don't feel comfortable in this space. Like, I feel really uncomfortable. And, bro, his face, he, like, I remember he, like, paused for a second, and, and he usually always, like, fires off response. And I'm like, yeah, not necessarily. I mean, I study how words could be, yeah. and, you know, and it gets real funny, but, like, you know, people have that. You know, they're like, Why did you study this? And I'm like, honestly, because I was taking my father's advice. I was always really good. I had this gift of gap. And I was like, Okay, well, how do I make it something that that people want, right? Why am I why am I here? Right? If if I was super socially awkward, I wouldn't be able to be on this podcast, right? Like so it's like if I could if I couldn't talk about my story, then the story means nothing. And that's kind of what I fell in love with, that storytelling, that aspect of how do we tell stories. But for for me, that's all I needed, right? And and my parents, they didn't do a lot of direction on the front end, which is why I kind of went in all these directions. But I think that that's the, the long winded answer to your question is, I think sometimes, you know, sometimes it could be malevolent, but I think a lot of times it's just people don't know what they don't know, man. And they have no idea. They just want to see their kids happy and they don't understand the long term effects of of temporary happiness without a long term strategy to actually be content in life. Because happiness is a fleeting emotion. And we we're, we're tr- We tend to optimize for this fleeting emotion instead of looking for long term strategies on how to have a content life. And that's just kind of the way I look at it.
0: Mm. Okay, all right. Well, we yeah, because you you gave me some. We got to cut into some things. Uh-huh. First, before we get out of here, we definitely got to talk about this because I went through the bio, and I you know I we got to go through this criminology. And this... Yeah, 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 for sure. Ask you about well, by this individual named Richard Rohr, and he wrote a book called Adam's Return. Okay. And in this book, he talks about how men should reinstitute the initiation process for their sons. Mm. And he, he, in this book, I'm not going to try to explain the whole book, but in this book, he talks about the difference between a mature man and an immature man. Right, yeah. and he he boils it down all to all to the, the the men who are not raised with this initiation process going into manhood, mm-hmm. right? So, what what do you think about that? The initiation process in the Western Hemisphere. Do you think it's something that we should try, especially for people in our community? You know, yeah you know in the argument do you think it's something
1: we should try to reinstitute for the young boys i do i think structure is important right like my, like for for me i have with all of the chaos that i was existing in growing up one thing that my parents did really well is they they created and and honestly it could have been just accidental cuz they were like man this kid he's he's all over the place like we need to do something they didn't you know the, both of my parents were had, had multiple jobs they couldn't be at home with me all the time and I was just always getting in the ship. They put me in football and I I wasn't super great at football, but we went to a couple championships, won a couple, um, not states, but we we did really well in that too. They put me in martial arts as well. And I'm still a martial artist to this day. I've trained in like multiple martial arts. And like the thing is that structure really helped me mentally, right? Having that structure um in life like, really helped me. And I think that that's where that initiation process comes from, comes in, in, into play when it comes. It doesn't have to be all of that, but it's like the idea of like coming to, coming of age as a man. Like, what does that mean? And having structure around what does that mean? Where you can have structured milestones. So that when you get to certain places, you know, the, it's the same thing we do with our education system, right? Like if, you re, if you're not reading at a third grade level, you're not going in third grade, right? If you're not knocking these things out, and now I'm not saying we should do it like education because I have my own bone to pick with the way our education system is set up. But I like the idea of setting milestones for develop so we can understand when people are underdeveloped and when people are overdeveloped and how to help everyone along the, the way so that at the end of the journey, everyone's at a certain level so that we are playing in the same playground right instead of putting all of the kids in the same playground with a bunch of different developmental issues and then hoping for the best right <laughs> like, mm. like that's not that's what we're currently doing we're just taking a bunch of people and uh, I, and i see it even in adulthood i'm like even in corporate america i'm surrounded by a lot of people that have their own set of social issues own set of developmental issues emotional development issues and we're all pretending like none of us have issues. We're all pretending like everyone's okay, and we're all pretending like we're all perfect. And no one actually develops. So then you sh- you have the people that have naturally matured in their own spaces, or however you want to describe it, that are now rising to the cream of the crop. That are rising up, and it's very easy for us to you know to recognize each other, recognizing when there's an imposter in the room. And the thing is, it makes it easier to do that when you have the blueprint, like I talked about before, the blueprint to actually get to that space. And I think that we we have a duty to do that as well. Like as we develop, as we know, like you say, you you knew better, you do better, right? Well, we can't necessarily go back and teach ourselves, but we can teach the next generation. And I think it is really selfish when we don't, Right. So when it comes to your question about the initiation, I think it's really helpful to create that structure for the next generation, specifically for young men, and especially young men of color um, that come from these types of big, like spaces where I grew up because we're not given the same socialization process as everyone else. I was raised, I wasn't really necessarily raised on love initially. I was raised on survival, right? And now that helps a lot when it comes to my mental strength but I had a lot of catching up to do when it came to my emotional maturity. Mm. And, and that's something like we need to talk about that. As men, as men, we're not allowed to do that. And I think that as a part of this initiation process, all of these things, aspects of what it really means to be a man need to be incorporated into that, right? Not this, and it's a buzzword now, the idea of toxic masculinity, because I think like any masculinity at this point in time with, you know, I want to say within the last five years, just being masculine in general has been turned into being toxically masculine. Like if just be, just showing any type of masculine energy, so it, which is, again, we don't need to talk about that. But I like, for me, what I mean is like to be truly masculine is to, to balance the, the masculine and feminine energies in ourselves. Mm-hmm. And how do we teach that to the next generation? Because we're not being taught that we are being taught to be, you know, boys don't cry. We're still being taught these things that is stunting our growth specifically as men, more specifically as black and brown men. I think mm. that is really hurting us for sure.
0: Okay, well how did you how did you do the work for the uh emotional
1: maturity? What 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 did you do? What was your process? Yeah, so one, I went to therapy as well. And then I realized therapy wasn't working. I wanted to very like really, really quickly clear that up. I it wasn't working for me because I think therapy was was is not built for our type of problems. I think that that's something that can be fixed. Like, you know, if you start to do more research, you know, and as they're, you know, as um, therapists are being, you know, start studying their psychology or whatever, they can start to learn different, like different spaces of life. I think that they have one approach and it's like, oh, did you have enough love growing up, right? Like, and, and maybe that's it, you know, maybe there is a little bit of that, but I think like men and men, a little bit different, right. And there's for a reason, otherwise we would just be asexual beings that, you know, they had no distinctions from each other, but we we're created differently for a reason. And we're wired a little bit differently. And for us, what we really need is to have that confidence. We need to feel serv- like service-oriented. We're service-oriented. We need to be able to provide services and security for ourselves and the people around us. That's the thing. It's innate in, the, in, in men. And that's something that when that's taken away from you, man, I, I see it, man. It destroys a man when that's taken away from you. When you have no outlet to create to protect, to, uh, you know, to serve. And, and it's not like, ser- you know, constantly being in the service of others, but even being in the service of, of yourself, like, we don't know. That's a different type of love that we're not being taught. So, one, I went to therapy, and I learned that there's there's a lot of spaces that I wasn't aware of, but I realized, the, the one thing that I realized was that was I had a lot of triggers, man. It was a lot of things that were triggering me, and I, I didn't understand what was happening. Like, you know, the only thing I knew how to describe was being frustrated. And if I wasn't frustrated, then I was okay, right? I never really used the word happy. I've noticed that. I wasn't using the word happy. I was either frustrated or angry or okay. Mm-hmm. Those are the only thing way, and we call them, like, I went back to school and I studied human development and organizational psychology and human development. And in that, I specifically focused on social emotional learning and emotional intelligence based research. So what I was doing, and, and the reason why is because I was reading all these, I started reading all these books. Like emotional intelligence um the social emotional learner all of these other books like i got a list of a bunch of lists of, of books of, that i just started I reading research papers from the 90s all the way through to you know 2015 you know, 16 um and i started to just really like dwell, delve into all of these concepts that i never really understood and things that were describing the experiences that i was having and i didn't realize that other people were experiencing these things and i think that that empathy. That's when my empathy started to develop. I started to realize, one, we keep things inside because we think we're the only ones having this experience, right? Where we think that we ha- we're having an esoteric experience when in reality, everyone is experiencing the same thing all at once. And I think that that's when I started to be comfortable with vulnerability. And you know, what the beautiful thing about that was, man, when I started being comfortable with bu- vulnerability, I started to unlock different levels in my friendships. Specifically with my my male friends, like my other me- male friends, like I started to unlock so many different levels to our friendship when I was be able to be vulnerable with myself with them, right? You know, at first they would joke and I would just be like, Nah, but I'm serious. Like I'm feeling some type of way about this. Or, you know, we don't, you know, we don't need necessarily talk about it now. Or, hey, you know, I'm not having the best day right now. I'm, you know, instead of always saying I'm okay or yeah, you know, how's your day? It's going great. And it's like, it's not going great. I'm having a pretty shitty day today right? And it's like being able to talk through that allowed them to be able to talk through that. And it it gave us this safe space, this psychologically safe space. And that is what I realized I needed from the very beginning. It wasn't necessarily love. It wasn't necessarily all of that. I needed a psychologically safe space to feel like I can take my armor off and be myself, look in the mirror and see my own reflection. And we're not allowed to do that. And what I started to do is I started to provide that for my friends. I started to buy, provide that for everyone that comes into contact with me. When people want to spend time with me, they don't really understand why. It's like I create a space where it's okay to just be you. I'm not here to judge you, man. I'm not here to you know tell you. you know, now, granted, I'm going to give you my opinion on things. I was like, hey, maybe maybe that wasn't the best choice. But at the end of the day, I understand that humans are having humans like human experiences, and none of us have it figured out. And once we do that that vulnerability became so natural to me that it allowed everyone else around me to just feel like they can take a breath and that breath is the best breath you ever gonna take let me practice yeah yeah how did it go over initially honestly about the same as the experience i had with my therapist yo except the difference was uh one i wasn't trying to like shrink them or anything like that i literally would just start with me like hey Yo, I'm, I'm not having the best day. And they would joke because, you know, joking is one of our mechanisms for self, de- you know, for, for it's a self-defense mechanism, right? Where we, we use jokes and humor to deflect from having to deal with real things. And that's something, especially when you come from like the harder, er- the harder the area you grew up in, the more survival you were raised in, the funnier you are, right? The more shit you've been through, the funnier you are. And and what's interesting is when I started to because I knew that because of like I came from similar spaces and even here like working in corporate America my friends are a little bit different right they don't necessarily all come from the same type of environment that I grew up in but they had their own you know rough patches and all of that and I don't like comparative suffering and I think that was a really helpful thing for me in developing my my relationships is you don't have to have the same experience to understand what hurt feels like to understand what grief feels like to understand what loss feels like to understand what feeling left out feels like it it might look different in how I learned the lesson but I still learned the lesson same as you and that is where I started where I was like I get that's why I used to use words like yeah yeah I, like I get it we joking but I'm being serious right now like can we be serious for a second and sometimes if we weren't you know we weren't ready to be serious and that's okay i am be like all right look we'll talk about it later but for me it was the consistency right and the, the persistence and the consistency was what mattered Because people start to realize, because you never know. At first, it feels like prying. Well, you're not used to people talking to you about yourself, about what you're feeling. Like now, I straight up, at this point in time, fast forward years, I'll just straight up ask my friends. I actually did this. uh, I was visiting some friends in L.A. like three weeks ago. And I straight up, before we got into anything, you know, before we went to happy hour, grabbed any drinks, anything. Got in the car. And I said, hey, how's y'all mental, man? Like, how y'all? How's y'all mental health? Like, how y'all feeling?" And. Um, because they know who I am, they were like, honestly, you know, some of these things been bothering me. You know, this is this is a little bit rough, but I, f- I feel really good about the overall outcome. I think it's gonna be alright in in the long run. And I was like, bet. And we were just talk, kind of talking about it. But I think you you'd be surprised. You can see it on people's faces when they don't usually get that, or when they're away from you or away from those spaces. You know, whether it's our friends group, because I don't think it's just me now. I think all of my friends are are like that now. But when we're away from our friend, our core friend friends group. You realize when people don't have that, because when they come back, they're like, you know what? Yeah, we can go. in. We can go in to to, you know, to the 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 brunch in a second. I, I do want to finish this conversation. That's how, you know, people don't get that that often. But that's those are relationships that really matter, because those are relationships with the people don't really want anything from you, man. They just want you. And that's beautiful.
0: Wow. Wow. All right. Well, look what I want to go back to the martial arts thing. What's your uh? What's your favorite martial arts discipline? What's your
1: favorite? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, so. Uh, there's gonna be a lot of people who're gonna be upset by my answer here. So I gotta go. Man, I started in boxing when I was really young. It was my my father was a boxer when he you know when he was a kid, and I love the combination of range attacks, close attacks, and also just kind of playing this kind of like master level chess with your opponent. Um, another one that I've been recently getting into that I think is really cool and probably going to be an obsession soon is jiu jitsu brazilian jiu jitsu that's something that man you got to be next level masochistic to do that because all you do is just get destroyed like i'm pretty sure your entire career as a martial artist if you're a brazilian jiu jitsu you just got to get used to failing but i love that lesson is it's a lesson in humility right but if i had to pick short answer muay thai and then boxing is a close second perfect.
0: All right, let's talk about this criminology and psychology and pathology. What what, what, what was this? What brought this on?
1: Man, all right, the real answer is I, man, there was a lot going on in my head, man. I didn't understand. And I kept going back to what my dad was talking about. He's like, yo, just go get good at Go get great at things. And this is the first time, going to college was the first time I didn't have a set curriculum, right, where people were like, you got to go to this class at this time because that's what you got to do to graduate. Like, my my professors, my counselor, my, you know, my, all of that were providing guidance. I'm like, what do you want to do? What do you want to learn? The first time people were asking me what I wanted to learn. So I, mean, I was like, I don't even know how to make that decision. So I kept going back to my, my pop says like, yo, go find something you're, you're good at and go be great at it. And necessarily, I didn't necessarily think I was good at this. I think I actually took the opposite approach for this. I took one thing that I thought I was really good at, right. It was communication, get the gap using words persuasion, all of that stuff. And then I was like, okay, I didn't smoke or drink or anything like that or party at, you know, at that point in my life at all. So I was like, I got, so she went back to school and then got like an associate's degree. And so she was like, you can't do none of this stuff if you don't got dope ass grades. So I was like, all right, bet. So all of these things, every minute of my day is almost planned. And then I get to college and they're like, well, you don't have to do sports to be here because I got an academic scholarship. So they were like, just go learn. And I was like, man, all right, I'm doing this, this one degree and I still have all of these classes that I could take and they paying for it. I'm not paying for it, right? So it's like, I might as well take advantage of that. So I, the one thing I realized is like, man, everyone in my neighborhood, everyone I grew up with is screwed up in the head. I'm kind of screwed up in the head, right? And I'm just really good at pretending like I'm not. So I was like, I need to figure this out. So I started to, I, my, my core psychology course, it was just like base level prerequisite. Everybody's got to take psychology. I took psychology, really liked it. And then I decided to take a developmental psychology course, took that. Then from there, my professor was like, hey, I think based on like the papers that you submit and the, the topics that you pick, I think that you'd be interested in this like cognitive studies course. So I started to do cognitive studies. And obviously, that we you were asking me about... I got into the criminology and psychological psychology and all that. yeah yeah, basically, uh, like I started down this path where I was like studying cognitive studies and then start and then I also wanted to do some criminal justice stuff because I wanted to understand more of the system because a lot of the people I was growing up with were like all in jail and you know, free this guy. And I was like, well, how do we actually do that at some point? So I was like, all right, let me learn more about the justice system. And then I started to marry the two ideas together when I started to realize like, man, there's a lot of messed up stuff. When you think about like the DSM-5, I think we're on now, DSM-5, which is basically just like all of the mental disorders listed in this big, you know, large text um, that that currently exists or the curr- that we currently have diagnosed. And then you mix that with how our system works. I was like, all right, how do we do this? And Villanova, I went to Villanova University, they have this Amazing multidisciplinary uh, program where you can kind of just like marry a bunch of different ideas together and then come out with, you know, whatever, you know, whatever that blend looks like. For me, it was like looking at psychology and then looking at this kind of criminal, you know, criminology, criminal justice space, and then understanding how the human mind works when it's not working. And that's where the like, psychological pathology came in. And I ended up spending a lot of time at like maximum, greater for, the greater for maximum security prisons outside of Philadelphia, you know, studying serial killers, studying, you know, like just interviewing these folks. And it was part of this restorative justice program that we were doing. And this like project and research project that I was working on, but I get to, I got to meet with all of these really interesting people is the way I describe it. They weren't that dissimilar to you and me, man. And that's, I think that was the scariest part is when you really look at it like the apples to apples and the bones to bones, they they were pretty similar. And I think that that was what was really scary for me. So I dove deeper into it to really understand like what happens when you push the human mind to a place that it doesn't understand itself, it becomes a different ver- like version of itself that's scary to even itself. And I really, really was enthralled by that idea of like, but what it also did is it provided me that again, empathy, right. For other people, instead of just judging people, just trying to understand What's going on with you? I guess the number one thing you're going to hear, hear me say, like we get into a disagreement, especially if it's like not an obvious disagreement. Like we're we talking about something and all of a sudden you're triggered by something. I'll pause. I do it with my son. I do it with my friends. I do it with you know my partner. I'm like, is everything all right? Like, like what are we actually talking about right now? And and, and I'm OK with being the one that's like, I'm confused. Like, now I'm I'm confused. It's not about you. Like you probably are being very clear. I'm confused right now because I thought I think we're talking about this, but it feels like we're talking about something else. And if you want to talk about something else, let's talk about it. When you isolate the individual for so long, it breaks eventually. And those broken people, man, it's scary to interact. Yeah. All
0: right, man. We got. to I've got to ask you the question of the chapter. Got yeah, yeah. For sure. Got to ask you the question: What you look like? What your job is? How much money you have? Yeah. Or sexual prowess. I want you okay. to eliminate those yeah. two
1: things and tell me who Justin James Lopez is. I actually spent quite a bit of time thinking about this. I think it's pretty simple for me. I define myself as a very dangerous person that has learned through years of introspection, research, and education to control myself emotionally, physically, and mentally, psychologically, so that I can keep a handle on the level of destruction that I'm capable of. And I the reason why I think that's important is because I don't think there's any vir, anything virtuous about being a person that's kind when kindness is all you know. Right? It's just a default when you really break it down. And it's the same similar if, if I'm being honest, like when I think about my martial arts background, there's nothing virtuous or admirable about walking away from a fight when you know that you couldn't win to begin with. You know that you couldn't have defended yourself to begin with. There's nothing admirable about that. I think, and I take that with a grain of salt because you know social media is going to rip me apart for that. I think what I mean by that is when you are capable of massive amount of destruction, and you choose peace. There's that's there's power in that. There's a lot of power in that. And I think that that's where a lot of people miss the mark. And that's how I define myself. I define myself define myself in in all of these spaces. Right? Like I have spend a lot of time studying psychology and how the human mind works right i'm capable of massive amount of destruction when it comes to being you know my, my physicality but also like manipulate mental manipulation all of this stuff but i choose to to use it to understand to help other people to help myself become a better version of myself um and i think that that's probably the most beautiful thing and when i die i want that to be how people remember me is that version of me so i probably that's probably how i would define myself as I'm a, I'm a very dangerous person. That's learned to control that danger part, dangerous part of myself, to be like to find that the the value of empathy, kindness, and understanding.
0: Because I was just talking about this. Matter of fact, the night before last, I was just talking about this. Like before last, because I'm doing a, a series. Matter of fact, I'm gonna give it away when I finish it. Yeah, yeah. A, a series because you know I I got to deal with the men. I just do. Mm-hmm. So, I'm doing a series called The Masculine, The Masculinity Map. Then I'm doing that, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because that's part of masculinity, you know what I'm saying? To protect your, yourself, to protect your loved ones, and like this, men must be capable of that, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? But you must also learn to control it, to not use it in situations where it doesn't call for that. I talked about that last night, you know yeah. what I'm saying? So, I really, I really appreciate it. No, it's an, like you said, like you said, you you we might get some pushback. You, yeah, and well, learn from it, but this is a reality.
1: You know, well, I think I yeah, I think that what where I think is the pushback is going to come from. I think well, you I never really know, right? With, with this day and age and social media, you never know what people are going to be offended by. So I try not to live my life that way. But what what I think is, uh, you know, when I made the statement of like, man, walking away from a fight when you know you couldn't win. There's nothing virtuous in that. And, and what I mean, it, it's not like, man, me versus 10 people, right? Like, you probably walk away from that. But what I'm saying is, like, when you know that you have no capabilities in this space, you never develop yourself to be able to make a different choice. So the reason why I say that, because there's there's something that I studied when I was back in my undergrad, it, is this idea, I think it's called consequential, quant, consequential, consequentialism. Man, that's a hard word to say. Consequentialism. There it is. Nailed it. And the idea of behind this in philosophy, the philosophy behind it is that we, like our virtue is based on our decisions, like the about the, the types of choices that we can make. So when you remove decisions and choices from a person and you say, like, uh, well, it's, it's a philosophical debate that we had where it's like, if someone has a gun to your head and you tell you to do something. Do you actually have free will? The answer is yes to me, right? But it's a philosophy course. So people were like, no, there's a gun to your head. I'm like, well, no, you can still decide whatever you decide. You just have to be okay with the consequences of that decision. And that's where consequ- consequentialism comes, comes in. This idea of make a decision. There's these decisions, these choices we make are powerful. And that's why I think like being able to being able to have more choices in your repertoire at any given time and then choosing one is a very powerful thing for a number of reasons, right? Like I mentioned, obviously for the main reasons I was talking about before is, man, if you if your only decision is to walk away, because that's the only thing that you can do, like you literally couldn't, like your best friend is getting destroyed in front of you, just destroyed. And you can't do anything. You don't even try because that's your only choice you have. You know, but if you are, are in the middle of an, of a disagreement with someone that's Really, just a foolish disagreement to choose to walk away when you know, man. Actually, if I wanted to, I can absolutely destroy you, but I, there, there's no point in that. What What do either of us gain from that? And like that, that level of thinking, right, only comes through the ability to make a choice, right, and to have the choices in front of you. But a lot of people remove the choices by the by the previous choices they made. If you make me, you know, like if I'd never studied martial arts and in, in the internal discipline, I wouldn't even have the choice, you know, to try to defend myself. I wouldn't even know how, right? Where to start, right? But now I have the choice. And when you have the choice, you realize, I realize that people don't start fights when they know how to fight, right? You know your capabilities and limitations. You usually aren't the person that instigates the situation to get further into, you know, the negative space. Usually it's the people that are like very insecure about themselves that instigate situations. And that's another la- layer of why we should introduce those, those choices back into ourselves, right? And why we should be developing ourselves, sharpening our minds, sharpening our bodies, being disciplined in all these spaces because it gives you as many choices as you could possibly need without falling into this paradox of choice where it's like, I'm not going to make a decision. So I admire that. I would love to, to pick his brain for however long I have on that mm-hmm. for sure.
0: Okay, if you could choose one book that everyone should read, what would it be and why?
1: Yeah, uh, The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho. Alchemist. I'm familiar with it. Yeah, I'll... I read this book. So That came right out. So, uh, man, it's a, such a short read. If, if you haven't read it, if anyone else, like the listeners, haven't read it, definitely go check it out. It's on Audible as well. But that book is self-explanatory, but I read it at least once or twice a year, right? And not because I didn't comprehend it, because every time I read it, I gain something new about the story. I think ultimately the book is about understanding that sometimes the things that you need are right in front of you, but you'll never be able to appreciate them without the journey that it takes to gain to gain them, right? And that's like the high level. I think the low the lower, the deeper level is you can really be whatever you want to do. You can be whatever you want to be if you're willing to, to to, you know, break yourself down and build yourself back up. You can be whatever you want to be. And that's a, amazing. book. Yeah. Wow. Okay. What's, what is your biggest regret? And my biggest regret is the amount of time that I spent with people that were so superficial and didn't actually push my life, my, my narrative forward. Yeah.
0: Okay. If you could give your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be? And it's okay to fail.
1: It's okay to try. It's okay to not be perfect.
0: Okay. Last one. What's the most significant lesson you learned last year, and how has
1: it changed your perspective? Last year, so 2022? Yeah, 2023. Yes. So 2022, the most, spend more time with the people that you care about, regardless of how you feel that they feel about you. I think that that's something that I learned last year. So I, I lost somebody that was really important to me last year, and it was sudden, and for me, what I realized that after he he's, he was gone and all of the, you know, the smoke settled, I realized that there weren't that many people. Like, roles are replaceable, but people aren't, right? You can replace a best friend. You can have another best friend, but you're never going to have that person again, right? And I think that when I think about all of the things that I've accomplished, even, even in this past year, like, since that point, like, the people that I want to share it with, some of them are gone, and I'll never have that moment, so... That's one thing that I really learned is like, regardless of how much we want to accomplish in our lives, how su- how much success we want to gather, it's nothing without the the people to share it with. And it's important to be able to just pause for a second, right? pause all the hard work and go spend time with the people that matter. All
0: right. Just listen. We could go on, man. Yeah, just man. Tell the people what you got coming up, man. Tell the people what you're working on.
1: Yeah, 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 I'm working on a, a couple of projects, uh, for sure. Like I said, i, I like I run the the content for Amazon Design. Any, uh, you know, go go there. I update content um every month, um at least two to three uh major pieces of content. Whether it's a new podcast episode, I run a, a Black Stories podcast, which is where we highlight Black designers, creatives from all around the world. So not just Amazonian people, like people just that are creatives that exist in the world. I highlight them on the on the show, have them out, have authentic conversations. We got another one coming up. Uh, we got one come up every month. The first Tuesday of every month, we, we have a new episode with a, a new person. Some some people that are really well-known and some people that are going to be real, really well-known in the future and you should probably check out. All, aside from that, we have the Analog Series, which is a video bio series where you get to meet some really cool personalities from around the world too. But we're physically there, so you actually get to see them, um, learn their story. And other than that, uh, my personal projects, I got a lot of personal things coming up when it comes to my photography um I'm working on a number of different editorial um things that are going to be coming out I'm looking at how do we tell visuals narratives with no words right oh pictures worth a thousand words they say it all the time and I'm really trying to like challenge that that assumption and see how we can bring that into into this new modern way of looking at the world we
0: got some stuff coming up man I appreciate, it, man. I appreciate you coming on, man. I wanted to keep you on a little longer, but I know we got to get out of here. But listen, you know what I'm saying? We're well, we gonna try to get you back on, man, so we can do part two of this
1: thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could, yeah, I can, I could talk all day, man. I appreciate you.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of the Heart Matters podcast for relationship, spiritual. Coaching and resources, go to the Heart Matters Brand Link Tree, which is linktr.ee slash l o u i s m o r r i s. That's linktr.ee slash l o u i s m o r r i s. And we will see you again soon.